0: Good morning fellowship favor, would you stand with us? So glad you're here this morning. Let's begin by looking around the room, making eye contact with somebody, welcome them. Introduce yourself, give them a fist pump if you will, say hi, somebody around you, and we'll get singing here in just a second. This morning, by reminding ourselves of the grace of our Father, His faithfulness. Let's sing it out to Him, Father of kindness. Let's sing it together. Father of kindness, You how grace. You brought me out of darkness. You filled me with peace and gave. Sing it together, sing it with me, faithful. Sing with me. Beautiful Savior is
1: Praise God for
0: rest in your faithfulness. We rest in your character, not our own. So Lord, would you help us get our eyes off of ourselves and our eyes onto you this morning? Well, this is about you. It always has been and always will be. It's your name I pray. Amen. You can grab a seat.
2: Well, good morning. My name is Aaron Parks, and I get to serve as a family team leader here at Fellowship Fayetteville, and I'm so glad that y'all have chosen to come and worship together with us this morning. Thanks for joining us. This is Uh, Just a great opportunity that we have to gather together and to worship our God together. Thanks for being here. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff to tell you about. It's fall, there's a lot going on, and there's a lot going on here too. And here in a minute, I'm actually gonna tell you what this number 467 has to do with what we're doing here at Fellowship Fayetteville, but I'm not gonna tell you yet. I'm gonna make you wonder, because I'm gonna tell you about some other stuff first, One of the things that we really want for all of us here is that we grow in our faith. We want to grow to be more and more like Jesus, to love him more and more, and to become disciples of Jesus, and there's a lot of opportunities that we have for us this fall, and they're all starting in the next few weeks, and so we've got some men's studies coming up, and we would love, guys, we would love for you to get involved with those. They're Wednesdays at 6.30 a.m., and that starts September 7th. Um, You can scan that QR code. You can go to our website and find that. There's some women's studies starting up. They're coming up here pretty soon. Uh, And so they're starting after Labor Day as well. And so ladies, we would love for you to be involved with that as well. And so there's a lot more information on that on our website. And so be sure and check that out. Um, There's also, another thing is here in a couple of weeks, we're gonna be talking about Ephesians We're gonna start jumping into the book of Ephesians, and most of the fall, we're gonna be studying Ephesians. And we have books out there, journals for you to grab, and this is a great tool for y'all to use as you're walking through and studying Ephesians during the week, as you're discipling someone. This is a great opportunity to walk through Ephesians with them as you're helping one another understand God's word. So these are out in the foyer. You can pick those up. Also, uh, many of you were handed one of these things as you walked in. If you didn't get one of these, you can grab one on your way out. But this outlines another way that we can help one another grow in our faith. And this is through our small groups. And there's a lot of different um, studies and different um, just things that our small groups are going through. So be sure and get one of these and get plugged in with a small group because we really believe that in a small group and community, we really can help one another grow in our faith and point one another towards Jesus. So be sure and get these. And then on the back, Um, There's actually a lot of information on here. There's different classes that you can take. So there's a lot going on. And the heart of all of these things is to help us grow in our faith, to help us grow in our love for Jesus. One of the things that I get to do every single week here at Fellowship Fables, I get to work with kids, and it is my favorite. I love it so much because as I work with kids, I get to see our faith lived out in just practical and simple ways, And I wanna tell you two stories that happened over the last two weeks here in Fayette Kids. Two weeks ago, there was a kindergarten kid that got dropped off, and he was not excited to be there. He was screaming, he was crying, and the leaders were doing such a good job of just going, their eyes were about this big, looking at me like, what do we do? And I'm like, it's all right. And so we were just helping him try and feel comfortable, and we're talking with him, asking him about school, all of this stuff, and he was kind of beginning to calm down. But then in enters Mason. Mason is a fourth grader. And Mason walks over and very gently just looks at the leader and says, hey, I know him. And he gets down on this kid's level and he begins showing the fruit of the spirit to this kid. Love and peace and gentleness and kindness. And it was an amazing thing to see as Mason helped this kid calm down and feel welcome and loved in Fayette Kids. Mason allowed the Holy Spirit to use him to help this kid hear the word of God because as they're sitting in the back playing Connect Four, building relationship, that kid and Mason got to hear the word of God being taught to them and then that kid was able to go to his small group that day. It was an amazing example of a kid listening to the Holy Spirit and obeying as God is directing him to make someone feel welcome and show kindness. Another story is, I don't know if, how many of y'all get really excited about the maps in the back of your Bible? But there's maps in the back of many of our Bibles. And two weeks ago, our early childhood team put together a kindergarten blessing. And their hope was that as kids move from early childhood and start kindergarten, move to our elementary ministry, that they would be known. And so they gave them their first big kid Bible, that's what they all called it. They got their big kid Bible, and it's an NIV version of the Bible that we use in elementary. And then parents wrote blessings that they prayed over their kids. It was a beautiful time for parents to show their kids how much they love Jesus and how much they want them to love Jesus. And in the middle of this sweet, sweet time as they're praying over their kids, looking at their new Bibles, the kids are so excited. One of the kids just starts yelling, there's maps in the back, there's maps in the back. So of course, in the middle of this time, all of the kids are like, wait, what? And so they're grabbing their Bible, looking at the maps in the back. So. If you have a kid near you, just show them the maps in the back and they'll get really excited about God's word. But the point is our early childhood team and our elementary team, we want kids to know God's word and to love God's word. So imagine this generation that's here, a part of our church now, as they continue to grow up loving God's word, as they grow up loving Jesus more than anything, imagine what that's gonna be like for our church as a whole generation grows up understanding Jesus' love for them. It's exciting, and it's really awesome to see the life change that God is bringing about over in Fayette Kids, and it's just exciting to be a part of, and so, as always, I always invite people, if you want to serve and to be involved in the life change that's happening in Fayette Kids, we would love for you to be a part of that. We know that's not for everybody, but some of y'all might be saying, man, I really wanna get involved with that, and if you do, come talk to one of us or fill out the serve form on our website. We would love to get you involved. Hey, as we continue to worship, everybody close your eyes. God is doing some amazing things and we're getting to see that here at Fellowship Fable, and it's really exciting. So as we continue to worship, let's just remember how great our God is. Jesus, we're so grateful for your love for us. Thank you for all of the things that you have done and you're continuing to do here. Help us to worship you today and it's in your name we pray, Amen.
0: The throne of God above. I have a strong and a perfect plea, a great high priest to. You. read this to yourself and ask yourself the question if this is true what is my appropriate response to this? If this is true what is my appropriate response? Take a moment and do that. you are great and you alone. I thank you for the reminder that you are before all things, that you hold all things together. Lord, and that calls for a response of our lives. Lord, if the things that you made were made to worship, Lord, then we will worship as well. Knowing that's where true life is found, it's actually laying our life down for you. Lord, Would you teach us from your word this morning that we would leave different. God, this is about you. It always has been. and always will be about you. In your name I pray. Amen. Take a seat.
3: Video gets me every time. Good morning. How are we this morning? Good. Parents of kids in school made it through the first week, I see. Uh, I'm Garland. Great to be with you. One of the pastors here. And if you're new with us, if you've just moved here to go to college, let me just say welcome Uh, We're glad that you're here. Uh, Welcome to Fellowship Fayetteville, and uh, we look forward to getting to know you and and meeting you. And if you are new to this thing called church, maybe you haven't been in a while, uh, or maybe this is your first time uh, coming to this thing called church, let me just give you a warning. Uh, All subgroups in our culture have little catchphrases. All the subgroups that you'll find all over our culture have little things that they say that from the outside may not make that much sense, but everybody on the inside knows. It can be a little strange, At first, Christians are no different. We've got all sorts of things that we say that when you look at it from the outside, they they may not be clear or some of them might just be flat out strange or weird. Now, I'm not making fun of these because I've probably said all of these in the last month. Let me give you a couple of examples. We say things like this I'm going to go have my quiet time. Now, for you from the outside, a quiet time is a time when Christians go and read their Bibles and pray. Sometimes at a coffee shop, sometimes in like a quiet room in their house. And this is this thing that we do as Christians to study our Bible. And we oftentimes call it a quiet time. And we'll say things like this. I'm gonna pray a hedge of protection around this person. I need you to pray a hedge of protection around me. We say this one. Let go. And? Gotta let go and let God. Or we'll say things like this. I need my prayer warriors to gather around me on this. Where are my prayer warriors? We'll say, man, that person really is a prayer warrior. Uh, one of my favorites is this one. We'll say, God really laid this on my heart. Now, especially in high school and college, people frequently in the Christian community will use this when they desire to break up with somebody that they're dating. They will frequently use this. If you have, every time I've talked about this, people in the room are like, I had a boyfriend say that to me, or I had a girlfriend say that to me. Stop doing it. It's a cop out. Just say, I don't wanna be with you anymore. Move on, all right? But frequently they'll say, hey, God really laid this on my heart. We need to stop seeing each other, okay? Stop doing it, all right? Uh, we'll ask people this, how's your, how's your walk? How's your walk? What we really mean is our like, relationship with Jesus, and there can be many different answers for that. We can say, kind of in a dry season right now, or the opposite is true. This is definitely my favorite. The opposite can be true. We'll say, I'm on fire. I'm on fire for the Lord right now. Let me be honest. If I was from the outside of the church, and I was listening in to two Christians talk, and one of them said, man, I want fire For the Lord right now, I think I'd call the authorities. I don't think i know what was going on with that, but we will frequently say this, and oftentimes I'll hear people say this. Maybe at lunch today, they'll say, hey man, the worship was really good in there today. Or maybe the opposite. I didn't really like the worship this morning. It wasn't wasn't what I wanted. And here's the question. What do we mean when we say this word worship? Like what does that mean? If you were to say that at lunch today, the worship was really good in there today, Or not so good. What does that mean? So I think oftentimes this word, this English word worship, we can get misconstrued. And this morning, as we continue in our mission vision series, we're gonna look at what it means to worship together. What it looks like for us to gather in this place and then to worship God outside of these walls. Now, what that may look like and how that should how that should sound and what it looks like for us to gather. Now, last week we looked at making disciples together. It's our mission, after all, as a church, to make disciples of Jesus. And this morning, this is important for us, to rightly understand worship, because we say as a church, as Fellowship Fayetteville, it is our ultimate objective. This is the reason why we exist. Our ultimate objective, our ultimate goal, is to glorify God or to worship him. And so in light of that, what does it mean for us to worship together? Here's where we're gonna go this morning, really simple. We wanna see the what, the why, and the how. We're gonna divide that into two parts. The what of worship, what is it? Why is it important, and how do we accomplish this? If you have your Bibles, go with me, John chapter four. We spent 21 weeks in John, we were out of it for one week, and we're going right back in. John chapter four, if you have your Bibles, open them with me and let's take a look at this passage. It's a famous passage. Let me set up the context for you and for me. John 4, we're gonna pick it up in verse 19, but here's the context. Jesus has been having a discussion with a Samaritan woman, we are told. Now, there is some hostility at this time in history between Jesus' community, the Jews, and the Samaritan community. They have a significant theological disagreement, and they've got some moral disagreements, and they've also got, therefore, some some tribal or ethnic disagreements. And there's open hostility between these two groups. And yet we're told at the beginning of this chapter that Jesus had to go into Samaria. And we're gonna see why. He, he has an appointment, a date with destiny with this particular person. And they're having this dialogue back and forth. It's a famous dialogue. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible, John chapter four. But as the dialogue continues, the woman, she's impressed by Jesus. And she asked this question. Sir, or Lord, I can see that you, you're a prophet. There's something unique about you. There's something special about you, something impressive about you. Now, for the Samaritans, they believe that the first five books of the Bible were the only inspired texts. And so as the first five books close, the book of Deuteronomy is longing for this future day when a prophet like Moses will arise. And so as she asked this question, she may even be saying, Could you be this one, the one that us Samaritans are looking for, the prophet? Is this him? And because of that, she asks him the very right and appropriate question. Okay, Jesus, you're impressive. Now let me ask you, the theological debate of the day. See, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. The mountain, they're literally at Jacob's, Jacob's well, which Mount Gerizim is in their background. He says, on this mountain is where our ancestors worship. When the people of Israel came into the land, Moses had told them, go onto Mount Gerizim and read the law there and worship and build an altar. And the Samaritans said, this is the mountain where God meets us. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is down there in Jerusalem, in Mount Zion. Now, we're going to come back to the theological debate in a minute. But first, I want you to notice, and in fact, you can look down at your Bible. If you have a pen, circle it. Circle the amount of times the word worship occurs in just this chapter. Nine times the Greek word proskuneo, it's the verb form, will be used in this chapter. And one additional time, the noun form is used. Ten times this idea of worship is in our chapter, and it brings up a question. What does that word mean? What does proskuneo mean in Greek? And by the way, just doing a word search isn't all that helpful because there's all sorts of synonyms for this concept of worship, to exalt to praise, to bow down, to lift high, to magnify. There's all sorts of synonyms. So what does it mean to worship? Now let's just get real basic. What does our English word, worship, mean? Let's do a little etymology here of our English word. Here it is. And I think when we see that the word is really just shrinking down an old English word, and here it worship. I think we get the concept. worth worship is worth-ship to see the value or the worth of something or someone and to respond accordingly, to say, that's valuable. And now the proportions of my life will adjust to its value. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, I'm not a car guy, okay? So I know some of you are. But suppose, maybe this, maybe this happened to somebody in this room. Uh, you had a, grand, a grandparent, a grandfather who, uh, who passed away and left you uh, an old car that they had in their will. And the car gets delivered to you, and you're honored, of course, to have the car. You see the car, and you go, man, this is really cool. It's really old. I don't know much about it. Um, And, of course, you you see it, and you're honored, and you want to keep it because it's special. But it's got some rust. It doesn't work. When you turn it on, it doesn't quite kick on. You ask a mechanic to come take a look at it, and he says it's going to cost you about 10 grand just to get it working. And then there's going to be a lot of cosmetic things you may have to do. Man, you don't have room for it, so you gotta store it either at a parking garage or at a storage unit. And you're like, man, I'm honored to have this. This is really cool and all, but it's kind of a hassle. And you might show a couple of friends, but it doesn't work, and as honoring as it is to have it, it it's a bit of a, a hassle to take care of. Now, suppose, in our little hypothetical story here, suppose you've got a friend who is a car guy, and this car guy comes into town to visit, and you go, hey, come take a look at this thing. Let's go over to the storage unit. I want to show you this. And you open the storage unit, and this friend walks in and goes, oh, do you know what this is? He said, no, no, tell me. It's a 64 Shelby Cobra. There's not many of these. By the way, I had to ask Michael to help me with it. Michael is a car guy. He had to help me with the car stuff. It's a 64 Shelby Cobra. Do you know what this is worth? Oh, in, in, in top condition, this car's worth $13.7 million. Looked it up. Million dollars. It's rare. It's one of a kind. I've never actually seen one in person. How did you get it? Now, how will you respond upon hearing that news? All of your proportions about what it was gonna cost you to store it, to fix it, have now radically adjusted, have they not? Like the $10,000 before you're like, I'm getting fund GoFundMe, I'm scraping up savings, we're fixing this car because it's worth 13.7. You're, gonna get, you're not just gonna have a storage unit, you're gonna get a, a heated and cooled storage unit with glass, so you can show this thing off. You know what else will happen? You will speak about the car different. Before you were honored, sure, but now you will delight over this car. You'll show everybody this car because you know its worth. You've seen the value of it. And now all of your proportions underneath that have changed. We can imagine the same scenario with a piece of jewelry you'd inherit from a, uh, a, from a parent. We imagine this scenario with a stock. Ooh, there's a stock that nobody knows the value of this company, but it's about to take off. I'm putting everything in it. We can imagine this with a person. For many of you, that's what your dating, your spouse was like. You found somebody and you went, there's no one like this person. Their value, their beauty is so high to me. I gotta give everything for this person, and you do. We can imagine this. Now, what would it mean to worship God? What would it mean to worship God? Tim Keller, I think, is helpful here. He says, what is the worship of God? Hear it, it's so simple. This is the what of worship. It's just doing what you do all the time to almost everybody and everything else but God. But not just to give him high value in your life, but to give him your ultimate value. To see God, who he is, his nature, his character, what he's done in this world, and go, wow. Do you know what this is worth? And on all the proportion underneath falls into place. Of high value, of ultimate value, you'll give the 10,000. You'll give the storage, you know, you'll give your life when you see something of value. It's the worship of God is just doing what you do to everything else, but ascribing that to God. It's the what of worship. I wanna get clear on the concept. Now, secondly, the why. We're gonna see all over our Bible that God is passionate and he is consistent in his concern for what you and I worship. Like, look at our passage in John 4. Jesus says, look at the verb at the end of verse 23. A time is coming, it has now come when the Father is seeking this kind of worship. This is the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It's a present tense verb in Greek. It's an ongoing action. He's actively seeking this kind of worship, or look at 24, God is spirit, and the the literal translation is, and in spirit and truth, it is necessary to worship. They must worship this way. God, in the Old Testament, is consistently passionate about what the people of Israel worship. I mean, just chasing them down, you're worshiping the wrong thing. When we turn to pages of the New Testament, we see Jesus saying the same thing. You can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You can't do it. God is consistently passionate about the object of our worship. Why? Why does it matter? Now lean in. Especially if you're here, and maybe you're skeptical of this whole thing. Maybe this Jesus thing doesn't make sense to you. Maybe the church hurt you and you've been away for a really long time. Lean in. God is so passionate about this. Why? Because he knows that what you worship determines the destiny of your life. What you worship determines the destiny of your life. I'm gonna let David Foster Wallace help me here. He's, a, uh, he's not a Christian. Uh, in fact, he, he's no longer alive. He, in, he's a, he was a writer in the 90s and early 2000s. He actually took his own life in the mid-2000s. Heroes. And right before he did, he gave a now really famous commencement speech. I, I love this quote, I use it all the time. You may have seen it before. I'm gonna let him do the work for me because I think he's exactly right. Hear his words. He says, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. He says, an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. It won't be big enough, compelling enough, beautiful enough and it will always overpromise and underdeliver. He continues, and he gets real personal, so let him, let him speak, this is his words. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. He says, it's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly, and when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. He keeps going, worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. The insecurity, you'll just hide it. He says, Worship your intellect being seen, as, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out, and so on. I think he's right. Worship your kids' success, and you will heap expectations on them, and you'll constantly be disappointed. You'll constantly be struggling. Here's one, worship your freedom, my rights, my autonomy, and you will always be cold internally to people. It'll be difficult for you to enter into society, you know why? Because to have relationships and to enter into society requires you to necessarily yield some of your freedoms for the benefit of somebody else. You'll always be bitter, my freedoms. Here's a hard one for us, especially if you grew up in the South, Worship your spiritual resume, your moral performance, and you will constantly feel like you're disappointing God, and you will hide all of your brokenness and sin from people because of the shame of it. Jesus says the Father is seeking true worshipers. He seeks them. They must worship him in spirit and truth. Why? Why? because he knows that only in him do we find an object that is worthy to give our life to, that is worthy to give everything to, that everything can fall in proportion underneath, and it won't destroy you. Uh, Last weekend, we wanted to do something fun uh, for our kids before we went to school for the week, and uh, we were like, let's go out to dinner. Let's go do something fun for dinner, something different. And so uh, we were like, let's do something a little more expensive, a little more experience. Let's do like Shogun, or like go to Wright's Barbecue and sit on the patio and do the whole thing." uh, Sarah was driving home with some of our kids in, with our kids in the car and said, hey, we want to do something special. We want to go out to eat tonight. Where do y'all want to go? And one of our kids said, McDonald's. And Sarah said, no, we're not going to McDonald's. We want to do something special. And they said, no, McDonald's. I want to go to McDonald's. And it nearly turned into an argument. Now, don't, I like McDonald's as much as the next person, okay? McDonald's is delicious, okay? I'm not getting down on McDonald's, but it ain't that special. So we want to do something special. Now, here's what happened. It nearly turned into a full-blown argument. Sarah's trying to offer steak, brisket, right? And they're chasing after the happy meal. But you see the absurdity, right? We're offering you something way better. This is the very thing that God knows and Jesus knows as he, as he makes this statement. The Father is seeking to provide something grand and beautiful for you, Don't settle for the happy meal. Yet for many of us, with our worship, we're clinging to it and we're arguing. It's the why of worship. He knows that anything else we worship will eat us alive. Now the how. The what, the why, the how. It's part one here. Notice the passage. Let's dive into the passage. Notice the importance on location in our passage. In the ancient Near Eastern world, the location of certain places or certain altars or temples was very important. Location really mattered in the ancient world. By the way, it does in our modern world, too. We know there are certain places that when you walk in, you can feel the sacredness of it. Like if I say Gettysburg Battlefield, there's a certain sacredness that comes to your mind. Or Omaha Beach. And we don't have to be that dramatic. If I said, have you ever been to a concert in the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville? Or have you been to Fenway Park? Have you been to Lambeau Field? We know there are certain places that have mystique, that have something sacred seeming about them in that place. Now take that and multiply it by about 10 and you get the ancient Near Eastern world. For them, the location of worship was essential. This was, the, this was the debate between the Samaritans and the Jews. Which mountain? Where does God meet us? You see, because The mountain, oftentimes temples and altars are built in high places or up on mountains because they believe that's where the heavens and the earth come together. That's where the deity and the human can interact. And so we put temples and we put altars in that space. Samaritans say Mount Gerizim and the Jews say Mount Zion. It was a significant deal. Now look at Jesus' answer. Jesus' answer to her question is utterly shocking, but it goes right over our heads. Look at it with me. Verse 21, woman, he's not being rude. This is like saying madam or ma'am, okay? Uh, Ma'am, woman, hey, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither here, and the Jews here that go, yeah, but also nor in Jerusalem. Any Jew or Samaritan hearing this story repeated would go, What did he say? That's not the answer. Jesus says, A time is coming when it won't be in a temple, on a mountain. And he continues. This is shocking. He says, A you know, time is coming and now has come. He's, he's saying, I'm inaugurating this time and what I am doing when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This is the kind of worship that the Father seeks. Now, what do we mean by spirit and truth? He doesn't have a psychological meaning here. I don't think what he means is uh, our hearts and our brains. Okay, I think oftentimes as we read this, we go, okay, I get it. It means my emotions and my thoughts. It's not, it's not a psychological understanding that Jesus has. Keep in mind, the, the discussion's been about location. And Jesus' answer is, The time is coming and now is where you will worship the Father in the Spirit. Now hear me. What does it mean to worship in the Spirit? The Jews, they had an ancient expectation passed down through their prophets. You can see this in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, in Hosea, in Joel chapter two. You can see it all over the place of a unique time when the Spirit of God will be poured out on his people. They will experience the blessing of God's presence and take that out to the rest of the nations. It's this huge expectation of this moment when the Spirit will finally come, forgive us of our sin and dwell with us. And Jesus says, I'm bringing it. That's what I'm bringing. And this is gonna necessarily conflict with the various positions that the Jewish leadership had in the day. See, they had different ways of understanding the truth of how God's presence would come. The Pharisees had a a way that that truth would happen. The Sadducees disagreed with them, and they had, this is our truth of how we're gonna bring God to bear. The Essenes in the wilderness had their view. The Zealots, the Nationalists had their view. And Jesus said, all those, all those truths about how God will manifest himself, how we, how we bring God to bear here, all wrong. I am the manifestation of God. You, we, the Spirit of God uniquely being poured out, I'm bringing that, and it all has to orient to me. Just a few turns of the scroll later, he'll say, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is a massive statement of Jesus. It says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship this way now in spirit and in truth. Jesus says, time is coming and now is. I'm inaugurating this through what I am doing. But the day is coming. As the pages of our New Testament turn, we're going to see the arrest and the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus then the resurrection of Jesus, these momentous events, and 50 days later, we're going to see Jesus' words come to pass. It's a famous passage that we in the church call the Day of Pentecost, and if you understand what the theology is being, the theology being communicated here, it very well might change your life today, I promise you. I'm not overstating that. Christians, listen up. In Acts 2, the early Jesus community is gathered together in Jerusalem. They're there for a festival, and they're together in one place. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw fire, tongues of fire, that separated and came to rest on each of the pause. Can we think of an occasion in our Bibles where we have God manifesting himself in fire and in wind, Think of some occasions if you've been around church and read your Bible. This is Sinai language as God appears to Israel on the mountain in fire. This is the book of Numbers language as God leads his people with his personal presence at night by a pillar of fire and during the daytime by wind and clouds. This is God manifesting, I am with you. Now notice Acts. Look at Acts 2. This is unbelievable theology. Verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on, what's the word, each. Now, the NIV is a little sloppy here. It literally says, and came to rest on each one of them. Do you see the implication? Not a building, not a mountain, not a temple. The Spirit of God at the day of Pentecost now comes to rest on each one of them. Them in Christ. Do you get the theology? What this means is now all of your life is now like a living, breathing temple built to worship the Lord. His personal presence with and in you and me if you are in Christ. This is why Jesus can say, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is why Paul reflecting on this goes, don't you know Your bodies are temples. So honor God with your bodies. In the context here, he's talking about your sexual expression. He says honor God with your bodies. Why? Because it's worship. You are a temple now because of what the spirit, the spirit and truth has come together in Acts 2. Hear me, Christians, there is no sacred secular divide. There's no church time on Sunday and in the rest of my life on Friday and Monday. No. Now your work Your hobbies, your parenting, your marriage, your dating, your sexuality, how you communicate with your friends, your loving, your neighbors, us serving the poor, all of it, worship. For Christians to say everything is worship is not some cute little trite thing Christians say. It's a deep, theologically rich and dense piece of theology that we need to marinate on. What does that mean for you and for me? Unbelievable theology. James K.A. Smith is a philosopher at Villanova, and he says this. He says, worship is not some odd, extravagant, extra-human thing we do as an add-on to our earthly, physical, material nature. No. Rather, worship is an epiphany of God in the world. It's the ordering and reordering of our material being to the end for which it was meant. What if everyone in our church worshiped like this? We've got the what, the why, the why. The how. Now let's talk pragmatics. Some of you realize, get to the point. Give me some pragmatics. What does it mean when we gather here? This 1% of your waking life, 65 minutes in here, I'll probably go long today, so sorry. Um, what does that mean for in here? Well, the, the scriptures talk in the New Testament quite regularly, actually, about what happens when the church gathers together in a spot like this. And Ephesians 5 is one of my favorite places, and Paul says, hey, be filled with the Spirit. Then he unpacks that with five verbs that amplify what that means, they all end in I-N-G. And there's two things that we might say summarize those five verbs. They're communal, and they're verbal. Communal and verbal. So in light of that, let me give you five things about when we gather in here that matter. Just real pragmatic. Number one, your voice matters. To praise God in the Bible, you have to use this thing right here in the form of gratitude. Praise means to publicly tell what God has done. Singing and making melody and making music. Now, here's the deal. Some of you are completely tone deaf. Just can't sing at all. And guess what? It doesn't matter. You're not singing for the person next to you. You're telling the goodness of our God. So sing, your voice actually matters. To come in here and look demonstrates you haven't found God and said, what? Your posture matters. Look at the scriptures. Frequently in the Bible, you'll see when they worship God, they'll bow down before him. They will raise their hands before him. They will offer sacrifices to him. They will kneel all the way prostrate before him. We know that our posture matters. Think about it. When the hogs reach over the goal line with the football, and if you're a hog fan, what happens? Your posture changes. You you innately begin clapping. You don't even know why. When you get sad, you get smaller. When you meet somebody important at work or somebody comes in, your CEO, you straighten up. Your posture matters. Then why are we so flippant when we come in here with our postures? I promise you I'm not making fun of you, but can I just give you one? Here's a posture. This is coffee cup. This posture is not a posture that says, God, you are worthy of my worship. You know what posture this is? A movie theater. This is when you take this posture. I'm not making fun of you, but have you thought about the way you posture your body? When we come in here, and I get it, we got, we're restricted, we got chairs, it's, it's full, but we offer ourselves to him. We praise him. We bow before him. And your posture really doesn't matter. Let me challenge you. Every single morning this week, before you do anything else, get out of your bed, go all the way face down and bow and pray the Lord's Prayer. And try that for five days and tell me that even the simple posturing of it doesn't change how you pray it. Number three, style matters. Style matters. If I were to get on every single one of your Spotify accounts, we would all have different tastes in music. If I were to check your radios and what your presets are, we'd all have different. 90s country fans? Okay, I thought we'd have more than that. Um, so I get it. Um, some of you want more hymns. Some of you don't want more hymns. Some of you want more stuff. Some of you don't like to do stuff. Some of you think it's way too loud in here. Some of you think it's not loud enough. I, I wish it was louder, sorry. Uh, some of you think it's way too bright, and some of you think, It's so bright, I feel like everybody's looking at me. Can we please make it a little darker because it makes me self-conscious? I get it. Can I tell you, our team comes in, we spend four weeks on Monday morning working on every single one of these services, trying to make the passage and what we sing match so we can worship God together. Can I tell you the question we ask? We don't ask, did everybody's style get hit? Did everybody get what they wanted? You know what we ask? How was Jesus made the hero in that service? That's our aim, and I'm asking you to join us in that aim. It's not always my favorite style every single time. Burton said, "Make sure and tell him." Sometimes I'm playing songs I don't even like. like so there's Burton for you. Okay, um, that's my best Burton impression. Uh, so I get it, but our question is, how is Jesus made the hero? And we hope that be yours as well. Your lifestyle matters. I hope from what we said earlier, you'll understand why Tozer says this. If you're not worshiping God on Monday or Saturday night the way you do on Sunday. You might not be worshiping at all. I'll just let him say it. Next, your expectancy matters. Do you come in here expecting to encounter the living God through the presence of his spirit, through the spoken word of his scriptures being taught in the company of other brothers and sisters in Christ? I get it. It's hard to get your kids up and get here, and sometimes you're tired. I get all that. But do you come expecting What would it look like if that's how we came in here every single Sunday morning? Now, those are are practical things, but they're not the ultimate why. Here's the ultimate why. In John 4, Jesus says, the hour is coming. And in John, the hour is always pointed to the hour of Jesus' death, the hour where he'll be handed over. The fuel for our worship is seeing the completed work of Jesus seeing the king laying down his life for his people, him loving you and I that much and going, do you know what this is worth? We see his hour for us. And that in his resurrection, he's conquered sin and death. We say, wow, we worship him. To that end now, we're gonna turn. We're gonna sing. So I'm gonna invite you as we sing to posture your hands as an act of worship in a minute when we stand like this. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna have us stand and we're gonna offer our worship to him. Let's pray. Father... You're seeking the kinds of worshipers who will experience your spirit poured out uniquely in the church in the truth that you are the way to the Father. Help us now to sing that you alone are worthy. And we pray this in your name, Jesus, our King. Amen.
0: Would you stand with us as we close our time singing one last song, asking the question, is is anyone worthy of our praise? And the answer is that he is worthy of our praise. So let's sing this together. sing. We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark will stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all, baby? Growing it is. And is, a new creation coming, it is, is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst, it is, while we gather, is it good that we remind ourselves
3: blessing and honor and glory and in Revelation 5 as the, as the lion, as the lamb opens the scroll. As they sang a new song and that new song was the song of their lives. That he alone is worthy. It's the song we care from this place. Our kids at lunch, whatever you do today, worship Him. Have a wonderful week of worship. We'll see you here next week. If you need prayer, right through those doors. Love y'all. Have a good week.